Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. I can tell you, names are funny things sometimes. I'm Paul, again, um, hosting Mornings with Carmen, or should I say without Carmen. Uh, One more day. This is my final day, final hour of doing it before before Carmen is back on Monday here on Faith Radio. Back in 1990, I was part of a college trip and got to go to Oxford, England for a month, or at least stationed out of there and did a lot of traveling around the British Isle. It was wonderful. And in Oxford is St. Aldate's Church. And we were kind of going, St. Aldate. I don't ever remember hearing about a St. Aldate. St. Paul, yeah. St. Peter, yeah. Aldate? Is this some sort of British guy? No, no. The, uh, the used to be when the old city of Oxford, there was, they had the wall and the gate, and there was a church by the old gate that got shortened to being the Aldate Church, and then they just put Saint on it. It just sort of happened that way. It's, it's a funny story, but I bring it up because I read the story at uh, churchleader.com. Dale Chamberlain is the writer about it, but he tells the story about a video featuring Stephen Foster, who right now serves as rector of St. Aldate Church in Oxford, England. And it's about his life and about, about a change of mind he had. He, he he used to he went to church but didn't like it. He said, "You know, if I'm honest, I never really liked the church." He added at the beginning of this TikTok video that you can see. I, I didn't ever really like Christians that much at all. I really I used to think it's like a package deal, like you get Jesus, so you get the church and Christians thrown in. It's just part of the package, and there are some bits of it you like, like Jesus. Some bits you don't like so much, like church and and Christians. I used to find that annoying. But then one Sunday, that began to change for Foster. He said, I was back at church at our church in East London, and someone said to me, I need help running the coffee team. And then the person looks at Foster and says, I want you, I want you to help out and be part of the coffee team. And, you know, Foster, who was working as an attorney at that time, working like 70, 80 hours a week, I'm like, me? Add another thing and, and become a member of the coffee team at church? Like I said, he was a lawyer, and he was just, no, 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 no. But he begrudgingly agreed, and that's when things started changing. He said, as I handed these cups to people, something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed the cup to these people, growing in love for them. I thought, these people, they're amazing. This this was extraordinary. It's just an extraordinary diverse group of people gathered in the, from across the area. We're together. He even found handing a cup of coffee just grew his love for these people. 
And he said, I kind of basically fell in love with the church. He went on to say after serving on the coffee team, he went back to the person in charge of the ministry and said, hey, 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 we need to get new coffee machines. We need to get better beans. We need to get better mugs. Come on. These are amazing people. They, I want to give them be- the best coffee they can get. And he said, you know, as I made coffee, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus. It's like the thing that he gave himself for. The church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There is no plan B. And God is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Stephen Foster became a living example of something that some theologians call solidarity. Now, many people think that's a political, a social term. No. Yeah, it can be used that way, but really it's a theological anchor we see in Jesus. Again, looking at Jesus first coming as we do at Christmas, yes, God came to dwell with us. Emmanuel, he became human. He took on a human identity. He came to be in solidarity with us to work for our good and for God. If any human had the right to look down his nose at the rest of humanity, (laughs) it was Jesus. Come on, he's second person of the Trinity. No, he didn't. He leaned into the lives of people, especially the hurting. He even went so far in solidarity with us that, seeing our need for redemption, he came and willingly died to pay the penalty for our sin. Now back to Stephen Foster's story. Even if he was reluctant at first, serving, getting to know people, Seeing them as Jesus saw them was transformative. He realized his oneness with his fellow believers, and he realized God's kingdom mission that the church is meant to live out. And we're we're called to be part of that mission here and now. Well, again, this is Mornings Without Carmen. And, um, okay, maybe you've got some travel plans this uh, holiday season driving. And if you want to make it a little more quieter in the car, it always helps to put on some stories. Well, there's a new podcast out there, Hope Media Group this year, put out a new audio adaptation of the Charles Dickens uh, classic story. This one is called Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. It features from uh, from Lord of the Rings, Sean Astin, you know, Samwise Gamgee as Scrooge, and also John Reese davies you know, Gimli uh, narrating it. And it's on all the podcast platforms and it's doing quite well as a matter of fact according to chartable.com i checked this morning in their fiction category of podcasts globally it's number 14 that's impressive because there's lots of podcasts out there then again i'm very partial to the focus on the family radio theater version of a christmas carol that was done several years ago um I wonder if Adam Holtz is partial to that one, too. But then again, he works for Plugged In, a a division of Focus on the Family, and it's Friday. And he's going to join us in helping apply the mind of Christ to what's happening in the entertainment world. That's coming up next here on Faith Radio. Okay, good morning. This is Faith Radio Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul, and okay, Adam... Adam Holtz from Plugged In, what's your favorite version of uh, the Christmas Carol? I mean, I was talking about the new the new one from Hope Media, the audio version. You have Focus on the Family Radio Theater version, part of Plugged, you know, Plugwin's part of Focus on the Family, which I really like. How about you? You know, I'm going to have to go with the Muppet Christmas Carol. That's I mean, that's a video one. But yes, I agree with you. Well, that's true. Sorry, I, 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 mis- I misheard your question. Obviously, I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I am partial to the Focus on the Family Radio Theater one. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to plug that too hard because you've already done a great job of that. Um, then again, but the Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay, I know they take them typical Muppet liberties. And it's one of the last yes. two good Muppet movies, in my opinion. That and Treasure Island, yes. I think, were just really good. And then uh, the Muppets kind of lost their way in my book. But yeah, they, they really true. nailed that story well. They did. They did. And I think, you know, it's the mark of a good story that it translates well both into screen and into an audible or audio version, right? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, not every story is going to work well in, you know, a podcast or an audio format. Uh, but that's, you know, especially what radio theater focus on the family tries to do is to take these great stories that the Narnia radio theater. Don't get me started. Oh, those are great. Is, is so good. And frankly, I think it's better than any of the movies. I think mm-hmm. my one very small bone to pick with C.S. Lewis is um, he wrote stories that at least, most of the movie and TV productions have not been, I don't know, they haven't been great, but man, just listening to the story mm-hmm. is out of this world. It's well, just, it's fantastic. Yeah, he did write a lot of his stuff to be heard, uh, you yep. know, read aloud. But anyway, we could go on about that. Somebody just we said, could. you know, they like the uh, the Mr. Magoo version of A Christmas Carol. Okay, if you oh, once you get past, like, well, that one's good. And then my favorite still is... Um, one called Scrooge from the early seventies because it's a musical. It does a great job. Yeah. So, um, okay, yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that though. We're here to look at some of the stuff that uh, ha- is happening also in the entertainment world now. And again, I love the fact that along with all the movie reviews, TV reviews, um, book reviews, and such, ga- you do YouTube reviews and you have a yeah. great list five more youtube channels to strengthen different aspects of our faith there's a lot of bad stuff on youtube but yep. there's a lot of good stuff too yep and um we have a person on our staff his name is kennedy unthank and kennedy really is our quarterback our point person for our youtube reviews and he does a great job of trying to find a couple of different things we certainly want to keep our finger on the pulse of you know what the kids are into, you know, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, And the things that are maybe notorious or, you know, in the news for the wrong reasons, but he's done a great job of looking for Christian YouTube channels as well. And so in this particular article, we're looking back at some reviews of channels he's done in the last year, and he categorized them into uh, YouTube channels that focus broadly speaking. And there's some overlap on evangelism, apologetics, personal application, or, you know, how, what do we do with scripture, daily living, and, excuse me, practicing biblical discernment. And so it's easy and in lots of ways deserve for us to pick on screens, right? We talk mm-hmm. about screen time. We say our kids are on screens too much. Maybe we're on screens too much. Um, but one of the things we want to do at Plugged In is not only warn you away from screen stuff that isn't going to be redemptive, but point you toward things that um, that are really excellent, that are praiseworthy, that are in sync with a, a biblical worldview. And so we have five different uh, YouTubers. Uh, one of those channels is So Be It, Cross Examined, Alyssa Childers, uh, The Beat by Alan Parr, and Melissa Daughtry. 
those are the five we've chosen here and we would commend them to your attention. Those are over on our blog at pluggedin.com. Okay. Now, we, I know we've talked about a few of them. I think we talked about Cross-Examine before as well uh-huh. as The Beat by Alan Parr. So I don't want to – they're good channels and we recommend them. People can see the full review. But you didn't mention – I don't think we've ever talked about So Be It. Uh, describe okay. what that one's about. Well, So Be It um, is – it's got a, a messianic Jewish focus. And so it's two messianic Jews, Jeff uh, and Alicia, who are really trying to look at the Old Testament in particular and communicating to Jews what the Old Testament has to say prophetically about Jesus. So it's very Jesus focused, it's very evangelism focused, but it has that very particular angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, of wanting to communicate the gospel clearly to the Jewish people. So, um, I, and I think it's always interesting to look at the Old Testament through a Jewish lens because obviously we're talking about the Jewish people, right? Yeah. And and you're going to get, if you're coming at it from uh, that Jewish perspective, there's a whole rich history there that sometimes we as evangelicals, even though we certainly claim the Old Testament as our own, we may not have some of those insights and we may not have that particularly Jewish perspective. And Mm -hmm. so uh, they're really coming from that point of view and and wanting to communicate specifically to that group of people. Okay. And what about Melissa Doherty? Because again, you have that under the category of practical biblical discernment. Yeah. You know, this is sort of about how do you discern truth from falsehood. Uh, And so she looks at where Bible verses are taken out of context. Mm. And she really wants to help you think about how do you communicate to people who maybe are using the same language or similar ideas? And here I'm talking about like Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm talking about people from the LDS, the Mormon church, Uh, because sometimes if you've ever had a conversation with somebody from one of those traditions, it seems like maybe they're using language that's familiar to us. And yet a little red flag goes up in the back of your mind. It's like, well, that's not quite how I understand it, but how do we talk about it? So this is a YouTube channel, Melissa Doherty, uh, or maybe it's Daughtry, um, who, yeah, she wants to give you what you need um, to have those conversations. Mm. Yeah, I just had one of our listeners, uh, Reverend Bob Castro, text in saying, yeah, she's a converted New Ager. So she's come from the darkness into the light. So this is, yeah. this is really good, really good. We're talking with yep. Adam Holtz from Plugged In here on Faith Radio. It's Mornings with Carmen, and I'm Paul. And when we continue, all right, there's just been a growth in organizations wanting to put out good, Christ-centered, faith-focused, and just positive entertainment options out there. And a new one is on the way we want to talk about in just a few moments. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post. 
how badly someone else sings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul, filling in one more time. Carmen back on Monday, but... That means I get to talk on Friday with Adam Holtz, as I love to do. And as we continue our conversation, Adam, love the fact that there just seems to be more and more platforms putting out content that is, again, focused on sharing the gospel and also pointing toward biblical values. And, I mean, we have uh, Angel Studios. Now, I, I, I love Angel Studios, love The Chosen, and hopefully we'll talk a little about some of their offerings. But I also have concerns about them because of their, who owns it and such. The Wonder yep. Project, a new group, this might be a little different. Tell us about The Wonder Project. Well, The Wonder Project um, is being, I guess, uh, what's the right word? Spearheaded. That's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Spearheaded by, by John Irwin. Uh, and you might know that John and Andy Irwin have been the directing and producing duo behind movies like Jesus Revolution, American Underdog. I can only imagine, uh, you know, so they're not they're not newbies here. They're, no, no. They have had enormous success and they have partnered with Lionsgate, which obviously is a, uh, a mainstream secular uh, movie distributor and studio. Mm-hmm. So. The Wonder Project uh, is one in which John has teamed up with another person, Kelly Merriman Hoogstraten, which is a great name. Love that name. Hoogstraten. Um, They have teamed up to create a new studio, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's known as the the Wonder Project. Uh, And they have a lot of money behind it, as well as connections with Lionsgate, with some some fairly large capital sources in the industry. And so John is taking what he has obviously learned thus far, and I think really wanting to take it to the next level. Uh, and they're talking about wanting to produce stories that really emphasize hope. And, and if they do what they have done with their Christian movies thus far, I think they've done a marvelous job of staying true to that faith orientation, mm-hmm. but creating stories that are accessible to people who aren't necessarily the ones sitting in the pews. And, you know, at times we have been, we can perhaps critique Christian entertainment as, yeah, this is for people who are already in the choir. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I am hopeful that this can be a really fantastic next step really at the vanguard of moving faith oriented projects into the mainstream and Kelly Merriman Hoogstraten. I just wanted to say it. You just wanted to say that name again. Yeah, I I did. Yeah. She has worked with YouTube and with Netflix. And I think, you know, the entertainment industry is not someplace that you just walk into and make an immediate impact. Right. There's a, there's a whole system there. And so understanding 
how to navigate that system to maximum benefit, I think is what they're bringing to the table here. And the interesting thing, you know, for as much as we sometimes um, are critical of Hollywood as having a, you know, progressive agenda, which I think we can say is largely true. Hollywood is fundamentally conservative from a financial perspective. They want to make money. And so that is the ultimate arbiter, uh, you know, a yardstick for what success looks like. Um, And so one of the guys involved as a a funder is a guy named Jason um, Bloom. And Jason Bloom has been a horror producer. You know, he's not a guy I would expect to see on this list. My guess is that, you know, he has some connection here because he sees an opportunity to make money. And again, you may think, oh boy, that makes me a little nervous. But I think that when we have mainstream players who are who are watching this and, and lending their approval, to me, it speaks to how much, you know, um, John Irwin, and I'm going to say it again, Kelly Merriman, Hoop Stratton, have <laughs> really understand how the system works. We're all going to be saying Hoop Stratton the rest of the day. You do realize Hoop that. Stratton. Hoop Stratton. Hoop Stratton. There we go. I, I, you know, okay, getting back to the Irwins. Um, if they haven't, if you haven't seen uh, Jesus Revolution, I oh, re- yeah. recommend that. It. And then, if you want to follow up, because they really—it's almost like one of their early movies was um, oh, the football one, uh, Walt uh, uh, Woodlawn. Woodlawn, yes. Watch that. I always after. remember it. I remember it because it sounds like a funeral home. It's a terrible uh, yeah. title, but yeah, it's it is. But based it's, on of, re- it's based on real events. Though. Yes, and so well, both are. That's the thing, and it's they all like are. Yeah, they the all thing. are. And it, it'd be really cool. You watch, you watch Jesus Revolution, and then immediately watch Woodlawn because one of the things referenced in there is the revolution that was happening. You know, the Jesus Revolution. And they do uh, bring about Explo, which is a event uh-huh. that happened down in Dallas. Billy Graham was there, and then that's where Woodlawn starts. Yep. So it, it's a good twofer, good twofer, good uh, Christmas week viewing, my, my yes, two cents there. I, I would agree with that. Okay, we're and, quickly running out of time here, and I want to get to, first off, some reviews. Christmas with the Chosen, yep. Holy Night is out in theaters. It is, and it fuses uh, one of the early episodes, The Messengers, and The Messengers is a reference to the angels that visited Joseph and Mary. And then if you haven't seen it, which I had not, um, The Shepherd, and The oh, Shepherd so was... Good. the the very first thing that Dallas Jenkins did with his church, which sort of became almost like the proof of concept for chosen. Mm -hmm. And even if you've seen them, it's woven together really nicely. Um, I, I actually found myself getting misty a couple times here. Mm -hmm. It's, it's worth seeing. And it's in theaters. It's a fathom event in theaters through this weekend and probably longer if it does well. If not, you can see both of those individual episodes, which my wife and I did uh, about a week ago. They're on the uh, Angel Studios app, and yeah, great Christmas. They they did a great job. They did a great job. I'm still waiting for them to add the next element with the Magi story, but that's another thing altogether. All right, this weekend, a big movie in the theaters, Wonka, the the backstory of uh, Willy Wonka. And that's that's the story here. It's the backstory of Willy Wonka. It stars Timothy... Uh, Chalamet, I always want to say it the other way, uh, as a young Wonka. And um, we actually did a podcast on this this week because Roald Dahl's stuff is kind of weird, yeah, right? He is. Like we, everybody loves it. And yet you watch it. I'm like, oh, there's some weird, creepy darkness in some of this stuff. 
you know, you can't watch Gene Wilder's version from 1974 and not think this is an odd story. <laughs> um, I would say this one in some ways is a kinder and gentler Wonka. Uh, and it's got a few things content wise that you'll want to check out in our full review, but um, nothing that I think is, you know, going to be a complete face palm for parents, uh, mostly stuff thrown in for comedic effect uh, and pretty nice movie. And I think pretty well done. All right. So you, you give it a thumbs up. I do. Well, okay. at least thumbs mostly up, maybe 45 <laughs> degrees up. <laughs> okay. And I had to put, throw this in here because there's always that debate. <laughs> is Die Hard a Christmas music or is it not? Um, and it came out when? It was 25 years ago. Or no, no, no. 35 years no, ago. No, no. 35. 1988. Thir- oh, my goodness. A time the year flat. I graduated from high school, which is a little bit scary. Hmm. Well, that was four years out for me. But um, anyway, you have a review up. Why? We do. Um, We're going back and we're hitting a number of old and classic movies and die hard. Some people consider a Christmas movie. I will remain agnostic and neither confirm nor deny on that. Uh, But if you go to plug in, you'll also find reviews that we put up just this week for Home Alone. Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, I watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time. This Finally! Week. And yes! I'm, going, I'm going to be writing my review this morning. That should be up by the end of the day today. Can you give us uh, a th- th- I'm sure you gave it. Oh. A, if you didn't give it a thumbs up, dude. I, I'm, no, it, it, <laughs> it is a thumbs up. It is a thumbs up. Although there's a surprising amount of drinking and smoking. Well, yes, is, there is. You know, there is. you go back and you see those things in the culture. But we're going to be looking at more older movies moving into this next year. We're trying to work our way through the American film Institute top hundred movies of all time. Um, And we'll do probably one or two a month realistically. So it's going to take us a while, but we'll get there. I remember chiding you last year about not having watched that. So you finally watched it. Yes. I (sighs) saw it. I saw it. Now I need to work on miracle on 34th street. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Which version though? Well, the original. I mean, okay. you got to start with the original. Well, there actually, I think there was one before the one that was anyway. The the, the one from oh, the nineteen 19- the original original. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was one earlier that was kind of so so, and then they anyway. Regardless, okay. glad you're. That's one of my favorites too. But yes. anyway, Adam, thanks again. Have a merry Christmas. Thanks you for being part of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, and we'll chat with you very soon. Yep, next week you'll be back with Carmen. So yep. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen and Genius. When you hear that word, who do you think of? Do you think of Einstein? Do you think of Michelangelo? Do you think of Mozart? Well, it's not a word often used to describe Jesus. But Peter Williams of Tyndale House in Cambridge says, you know, we really should. And he's going to join me in just a few moments. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Carmen will be back on Monday. I'm Paul, and yesterday I enjoyed talking about the humility of Christ with Dennis Edwards, one of the aspects about him that I hope grips you. Well, here we are. It's Christmas, celebrating for unto us a child is born, for for to us a son is given, and among things he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Maybe we should add Genius Storyteller to it as well. I'm joined right now by Peter Williams, who's part of Tyndale House at Cambridge and the author of a 
I tell you, it's a wonderful book, uh, Peter. The Surprising Genius of Jesus, What the Gospel Reveals About the Greatest Teacher that he is. Well, we'll, we'll see, but he's genius. He's brilliant, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. It's great to be with you. It's good to have you with me. Now, as I talked about, the book you have out, The Surprising Genius of Jesus, to help us see that in the book, you focus mainly on one story that Jesus told. Many of us call it the parable of the prodigal son. And early on, I love the fact you point out, it's, okay, we oftentimes focus on that story. We don't think about the context and how it's part of a larger parable. Explain that to us, because this is part of the brilliance of it. Yeah, so Jesus's story of the two sons is uh, three minutes long. So it's it's his longest story. It's amazing. Every single word counts. But it's also got these two uh, parables or two stories before. And it's actually all called one parable in Luke 15, where you've got the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the runaway son and the older, grumpy older brother, let's say. And uh, what you have there is uh, that, the sheep gets lost going away from home and the coin gets lost at home. Then you have a son who's lost going away from home. And that implies that the son at home is also lost. And then it ends without telling you how that older brother responds, because it's an invitation to people like that jealous older brother to respond in the right way. So that's part of the structure of what's going on. um, That's brilliant. (laughs) There are so many other aspects of it. Well, yes, that's where I want to go uh, as we open up this conversation here. And I love the fact you call it the story of the two sons, because oftentimes we think prodigal son. It's not just about the one son. As you pointed out, it's about both of them. So, okay, we could spend probably an hour, hour and a half talking about just the story itself. So we need to kind of crunch it down. Um, Highlight some of the aspects going through the story of the two sons that you just see as brilliant? Well, every single word counts. So Mm -hmm. Jesus, uh, for instance, when the younger son speaks, uh, and the first thing he says to his father is father. He addresses him as father. All three times in the parable, he he talks to his father. The very first word out of his mouth is the word father. Uh, Once he's in his head, but twice out loud. Um, The very first word, from the older brother to his father is look all these years i've been slaving for you and so there's a brilliant trick uh in jesus's storytelling it's the omission of a word it's Mm. it's the very fact that the older brother does not call his father father shows you that though he's physically closer he's actually emotionally more distant than the younger son ever was even when he's in a far country saying how many of my father's hired servants um so that's powerful when the younger brother goes away and it says um, that he wasted his uh, possessions with riotous living, it's all done in one word. So Jesus, again, doesn't glamorize the sin. When we retell the story, that's the bit we spend the time on. But Jesus doesn't because sin is uh, boring and it's never (laughs) edifying uh, to to, uh, learn about. And then we have uh, things like when the younger son's back and the older brother's angry about that, the older brother who's just come in from the field is absolutely certain as to what his younger brother's main expense was. He says to his father, uh, 
I've been slaving for you when this son of yours came. So he's denying that he's his brother mm-hmm. uh, came who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes. Well, you think, well, how does he know this? Right. The older, the younger son has not had any contact and he's just in from the field. So he's actually showing what's in his own heart, his own imagination. So it's those sort of things that are going on in the story. That is, and to me, that was the thing that really, st- one of the things that really stuck out. Jesus spent very little time talking about the the wayward son, the younger son, and what he did. Just he went and had riotous living, leave it at that. And the other one, it's more of, okay, we oftentimes project on others what's in our own hearts that we, uh, that was, again, brilliant. There's another thing that was really brilliant, and that's the word celebrate, because it's used... <laughs> It's used yeah. repeatedly in all three stories of that chapter, you know, the, the coin as well as the, the lost coin as well as the lost sheep. And then here, talk about celebrate. Yeah, so it's used in all three stories. And then the older brother's complaint is, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In that phrase, we learn uh, not that he's been vegetarian all these years on the farm. That's not very plausible. Mm-hmm. But he actually wants to celebrate with his friends without his father. Uh, because all these years, he's actually owned the farm. It's a very important part of the story is that when the younger brother asks for his share of the possessions, it says the father gave, uh, divided his uh, livelihood between them. And Mm -hmm. so that means that the older brother owns the farm from this point. When he says, you never gave me a young goat, he gave him every goat the farm has. So so the the resentment is absolutely huge. He should be really grateful to his little brother for doing the dirty work of asking dad for the inheritance. (laughs) As a result, he ended up with it all up front. He should say, little brother, if ever you need me, I'm there for you because I'm just so grateful for what you did. Uh, Of course, that's not his reaction. So it's very powerful. It is very powerful. Um, again, we're talking with uh, Peter Williams. He is the author of The Surprising Genius of Jesus, What the Gospels Reveal About our uh, about the Greatest Teacher. And he leaves, Jesus leaves the, the story hanging. Mm-hmm. Talk about the brilliant move there, how that's genius. Well, part of it is the principle of Sudoku. Sudoku is that game with numbers where you use the numbers in the boxes you have to fill in the ones you don't have. We can fill in the ending of the story from the fact that if there's celebration when the sheep that went away from home was found and the celebration when the coin that was found at home was found, lost at home was found, uh, and there's celebration when the younger brother comes back, from being away from home, we know that there would be real celebration if that older brother just went in. But in order to go in, he has to accept that his younger brother really is his brother. And uh, he he wants to reject him. He wants to say this son of yours. He wants to deny that brotherhood. And so it's an invitation because the context of the story, it says in Luke, is that the story is told to scribes and Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are after your money. Sinners like Uh, are into sin. Uh, Pharisees study the Bible to avoid sin and scribes actually copy the Bible. So you've got Bible experts there and people who don't like the Bible. And the interesting thing is that it's the people who are tax tax collectors and sinners are coming close to Jesus and the scribes are grumbling. And Jesus is saying, you have to accept the tax collectors and sinners are able to come to God. Mm. There's that. Again, uh, we're talking with Peter Williams. The uh, book is The Surprising Genius of Jesus. Now, you just you just listed out the 
people in the audience. Yes, there's the tax collectors, there's the sinners, but then the scribes, the Pharisees, the people who knew God's word, who would write it out. And that's important because there are so many Old Testament roots to the story of the two sons. Uh, For example, there's a lot in Genesis. So start teasing that out for us. Yeah, so when uh, Jesus says a man had two sons, that might remind you of the most famous man in the Bible to have two and only two sons. That's Isaac. And of course, that in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, the younger brother, tricks his older brother Esau out of his inheritance. Therefore, older brother's so uh, angry with him, he has to go off into a far country and feed animals. And then when he comes back, you get the one time in the entire Bible and it says someone runs, embraces and kisses someone. Jesus picks that up uses that phrase for the father in his story. Mm, That is interesting. So going there, uh, what other Old Testament um, roots and allusions do you see in the story? So again, a man had two sons. That could remind you of uh, Abraham. Abraham's the first man in the Bible to run. He's an old man when he runs, like this father in the story. The first word from the father's mouth in Jesus' story is quick. That's the first word from Abraham's mouth in Genesis 18, verse 6. When he runs, he says, quick to to Sarah, he says, quick, three seers of flour and goes off and gets a fatted calf, just like in uh, Jesus's story. So, again, it reminds you of Abraham, who is the only other person in the Old Testament who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive. Exactly. Again, we're talking with uh, Peter Williams. And as we continue in a few moments here, talking about the surprising genius of Jesus, some may say, okay, yeah, maybe there was a story there that Jesus told, but to really polish it, to show the genius, well, it is in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is a pretty smart guy. You know, he's a doctor. He's a really excellent writer. One of the, his Greek, if you ever were to read the New Testament Greek, is probably one of the highest levels of Greek of the writers of the New Testament. Well, so do we owe Luke the thanks, or does it still belong to Jesus? This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Whatever else you may believe about him, that is Jesus. What clearly, he was clearly the most brilliant and influential short story teller of all time. Who said that? Tom Holland, who is a historian, not a Christian, but I, you, you've met Tom, haven't you, Peter? Uh, we've only actually met remotely, so not in person. Oh, okay. He, he, <laughs> but he did a nice commendation of this book. Yes, definitely. And he's just an interesting guy. I mean, even though he doesn't, he doesn't hold to the Christian faith, he also doesn't dismiss it like a lot of people have. I mean, he has a, he has a respect for what it has meant for our culture, Western culture, among other things. So anyway, Absolutely. Hey, I'm Paul. Again, we're talking with Peter Williams, author of The Surprising Genius of Jesus. It's a short read. It's only a little over 100, 100 pages. But again, there's just so much good stuff when you look at, especially, he's, you're focusing in on the story of the two sons, what a lot of people call the prodigal child parable. But the story of the two sons, and as I was teasing before the break, many people say, well, it's only in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke was a really good writer. Could he have just foisted this on Jesus and said it was his story? Well, I think there are lots of reasons uh, to say it comes from Jesus and not from Luke. I'm just going to take you to the first sentence and the last sentence. Okay. So the first sentence, a man had two sons. 
That's how Jesus begins a story over in Matthew 21, verse 28, which is another story of two sons. That seems to be a way of, of Jesus speaking. So uh, if I say it comes from Luke, I won't explain why that's over in Matthew. Well, how Good does the, uh, the story end? He says, the father says, it was necessary to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus actually ends another story with it was necessary. This is in Matthew 18. Was it not necessary that you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy to you, says the master? So it's the use of the it was necessary, exactly the same word, at exactly the climactic logical point of the story. Uh, and uh, so the beginning and end are marked with the way Jesus speaks, not just in Luke, but in Matthew. So saying it comes from Luke doesn't explain anything. Mm -mm. No, it doesn't. And there's other things. There's other things that also cue you in in the story as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Jesus tells stories back to back. You've got that in Luke 15, three different stories. You've also got the uh, the same thing going on in Mark 4, Matthew 25, uh, Matthew 13. It's a particular hallmark of the way he speaks. Right. Uh, pairs of, yeah, there are others. There are others. And actually, that brings up an important point about when, oftentimes when we read stories, like we so often do with, you know, again, the prodigal son story, we we oftentimes take it in isolation. And by doing that, we miss, as you pointed out early on, the bigger context and the bigger story he's trying to shape. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get back to the story itself. We only touched on a few of the uh, different aspects that just show the genius of the story and the genius of Jesus in telling it. And what are a few more that you really are excited about? Because you well, come I, across I think, as so excited about all these. I am really excited. Yeah. Um, so one of the really clever things for any teacher to do is to teach uh, people at different educational levels or abilities or knowledge levels and jesus does that he tells a story which will work if you know nothing of the old testament at all if you're a sinner who's never read the bible that will work but it also works at a deeper level if you're a bible scholar and in this three-minute story he touches on all of genesis's biggest hits um a man had two sons that reminds you of adam having two sons and how you have the bible's first family conflict the older brother angry with the younger brother older brother out in the field there are similarities there tim keller's talked about those Mm. Uh, it reminds you of the story of abraham the man who runs the father who gives away gives away his inheritance while he's still alive it reminds you of jacob and esau it also reminds you of joseph when he says put a ring and a robe on him that's Mm. what happens to joseph when he comes out of prison before pharaoh um so he's picking up on all of those things and all of these years i've been slaving for you says the older brother that sounds rather like the way jacob speaks to laban his Mm. his uh father-in-law when uh, he catches up with him so it's bringing in all of these uh, different stories into one story, which is pretty impressive to do. Uh, and particularly since the story works, if you don't know any of that, and yet it's got these deep layers. It, it does have so many layers to it. Okay, let, I want you to talk from the heart here as you've been looking at this story. Um, now, you're along with just you know writing this book you've been a part of the translation oversight committee for the ESV uh you got another book out called can we trust the gospel uh, gospels mm-hmm. this really speaks into that whole question right there can we trust the gospels 
And this, yes. this is part of yeah. showing you can trust. What are some of, I mean, explain that and then maybe some other ways we can trust these stories about Jesus. Well, I think, yeah, I think you don't get a brilliant work of art by committee, uh, like <laughs> a wonderful poem or something like this. And so some people might have this idea that Jesus told the core of the story and then other bits were added on over time. Uh, and so it's a composite that won't work. You don't get brilliant artistry where every single word counts. The the economy of words, the references to the Old Testament, if it comes from a committee. So you really have to take the view that the whole lot, every single word uh, comes from Jesus. Uh, and that's an astounding thing. And you can see such care over the words when he says that uh, the younger son went away and joined himself to a citizen of that country. That word really rubs in that he doesn't belong. Um, he's not mm -hmm. a citizen who sends him into his fields. It reminds you he's not just got one field. He's got lots of fields uh, to feed his pigs. At this point, Pharisees are saying this story is going really well. This uh, no good guy uh, gets his comeuppance. Pigs mm -hmm. are unclean uh, and so on. All of that is totally brilliant. Then rather than saying he woke up, it actually tell it puts you inside his mind by yeah. giving you his speech to himself when he reflects on what it's like at his father. And he mentions his father multiple times in that speech. So all, all of these little touches are amazing. I don't get that from a committee <laughs> or one person yeah, doing one bit, another person adding on. Okay, again, we're talking about the genius, the surprising genius of Jesus. Peter Williams is our guest, and we have just about another minute, Peter. But do you see this also, not only looking at this story and, and the overall parable and others, speaks to Jesus' divinity. Absolutely. So I, I, I trace the same pattern in other stories. And it, it, I don't know anyone who can tell a story which is as pointed and brilliant as Jesus can. And so I think this is, goes alongside the miracles, the resurrection, the family tree, everything uh, that points to the fact that Jesus is different from anyone else. Mm. It is amazing. Uh, Peter, thanks again for joining us here on uh, on Mornings with Carmen. Any special, I mean, I know over across the pond you say Happy Christmas instead of Merry Christmas usually, but any big Christmas traditions uh, you enjoy celebrating? We have like 30 seconds. Uh, no, but I, I, I will get uh, more time meditating on the Christmas narratives, which are absolutely amazing, and Christ coming into uh, the world. And I'm wishing everyone a blessed Christmas and Happy New Year. All right. Peter, thank you for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Been a pleasure. And uh, yes, do have a happy Christmas. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul. And thanks again for joining me this week. It's been great filling in. And I hope, if anything, as we've been listening to Peter, get into God's Word, especially as we're heading into uh, heading into 2024. It is going to be a stressful year at many levels. And because, well, yeah, what's happening culturally beyond that. But... Um, that's why we urge you, get into God's Word. So if you're looking at reading the Bible in a year, we have several different reading programs, uh, different plans at our website. We urge you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and find one that works for you. There's a lot of different methods of reading through the Bible in a year. Check it out again. We have several at MyFaithRadio.com. Well, it's going to be an interesting day here at uh, Faith Radio. We're actually having an ugly sweater day and i okay i'm wearing a sweater it's not really ugly and ryan's wearing a vikings jersey that's not an ugly christmas sweater 
It's not a jersey. It's a sweatshirt. But well, I was, sweatshirt, I was yeah. told by the man at the highest level that it's football Friday, so that's why I'm doing Oh, because it was also <laughs> Ugly Sweater Day as well. Well, you're kind of going, how long have Ugly Sweaters been around? It turns out Ugly Sweaters have actually been around for a good long time. Uh, back, The first advertisement for them was in the Boston Globe in 1896. Now, they're mainly just stripey. Over time, yes, we've embellished them, especially starting in the 1980s. Uh, I don't. Again, I, I don't. Ha- I don't have an ugly sweater, but what can I say? What if you do enjoy? Thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Remember the podcast up at myfaithradio.com or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening on one of those podcast platforms like Spotify, rate us. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.